And today, I thank God that we're going to look at the relationship which God created and intended and blessed unlike any other. That is marriage. Marriage is one of the most important, if not the most important relationship that we have in this world. And so today we're going to look at it. And when we hear that we're talking about marriage, there's some of us that are super excited. Maybe we're newly married. Maybe things have been going really well in our marriage. And we see that there's a sermon series on marriage. And we look at our spouse and say, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to drop our kids off in the kids' ministries. We're going to grab our coffees. We're going to come. We're going to snuggle close. And we're going to hold hands in the worship. And they're going to sit and we're going to get to hear a sermon on marriage, honey. This is going to be fantastic. It's like a date on Sunday morning. And there's other of us that our marriage has been the source of our deepest pain in life. And there's probably people who stay home from church on sermon series where they talk about marriage just because it's hard to relive that suffering. And there's definitely people here today who are going through the greatest source of their suffering right now is their marriage. And so today we're going to talk about marriage and we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus. And it's a sermon series on marriage, but it's more of a sermon series on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that Jesus is good for every situation, whether you apply him to your, to your home or your marriage or your car, whatever it is, it's going to be good. And so what we talk about as we talk about the gospel is going to be good if our relationship is fantastic with our spouse and we're excited to be here and excited to be married. It's going to be good if our marriage is terrible right now and we're losing hope about whether or not it's going to go well and work out. Or it's going to be good if we've already gone through a terrible marriage and we're sitting here wondering if we ever want to do that again. The gospel is good in all situations. And so we're going to begin reading. If you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 7, in a moment we're going to read that passage and apply that to our marriage as well. This is Sarah and I. This is on our honeymoon 14 years ago or so. We had two, you know, I used to have a picture like this in my house. And when people would walk in, they'd be like, for like years and years, people would say, wow, Jeremy, you haven't changed at all. And then one day they walked in, they said, Wow, Jeremy, look how much you've changed. It's like, what? What happened? This is, uh, this is Sarah and I on our honeymoon. And we had two weeks on the ocean in Delaware, and we're very fair-skinned, and we knew if we were going to survive for two weeks, we wanted to be out on the beach, out in the ocean, as much as we could, and we knew if we were going to be out there for two weeks, we needed sun protection. And so beach umbrellas were expensive, but sombreros were cheap, and so we bought two sombreros, and we wore those on our honeymoon the whole time, basically. And I remember when we pulled up to the beach in Delaware, we were so excited to be there. It was just a beautiful wedding ceremony. We were so, you know, flying high. And we get out of the car, and that wind, you know, so we're walking towards, towards the ocean there with a chair and a lunchbox or whatever in each hand. And, and Sarah's a few feet in front of me, and the wind came up. And that wind off of the ocean was just incredible. And it blew off my massive sail of a hat. And that thing went rocketing back through the parking lot, past all the stores and the strip, and all the people that were buying ice cream and souvenirs just heard a big whoosh and turn around as a sail went by. And I took off after that hat because I knew I had two weeks on this beach and I didn't want to have to go buy another one. If I was going to survive, I needed that hat. And so I took off chasing after that hat. And I want you guys to know something. Because this knowledge is fast fading in the past. And soon no one will ever remember. But I was fast. <laughs> I was really fast. I was so fast that I made Speedy Gonzalez look like regular Gonzalez. And I went after that hat. And I caught up to that hat, sprinting like crazy, lawn chair in one arm, lunchbox in the other, past all the people eating ice cream. And I saved my hat, 
And I went walking. It took me about a minute and a half of solid sprinting to get that hat. And I walked the seven miles back to where Sarah was. (laughs) And I found her, and she didn't know where I was. And she's standing there. She's clearly upset. And I get up to her, and she's going, I was so fast, she didn't even know where I went. (laughs) And instead of being impressed... She was upset, and I was like, what's wrong with you? And she's like, well, where did you go? I was like, what do you mean, where did I go? My hat blew off. And she's like, well, you could have told me. And I'm like, what are you, needy? (laughs) And that began the first of our many fights in parking lots. We have fought in parking lots in Delaware, in Minnesota, in Missouri. We have fought in hotel rooms, on honeymoons, in airplanes, in our house. We've had many public battles where we've been sitting there and had to say to each other, they can hear you. (laughs) And marriage is difficult. And none of the fights we have are about where the whipped cream goes in the fridge or should I tell you or not if I speed off to grab my hat or where are we going to place the couch or what time do the kids go to the bed? Like, those are not really the reasons for any of our arguments. The reason for all of our arguments is sin. Every single one of them. And marriage hurts because we are imperfect people. And the prophet Micah, if you read Micah chapter 7, 4, Micah says the best of them, talking about the people, the best of them is like a briar and the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their conclusion is at hand. Like we talked about this morning as we're reading through the book of Ephesians, our default position before God is not godly, right with God. It is a child of God's wrath because the best of us is like a thorn hedge. I've got a picture of thorns in case you're sitting there in that comfortable seat and you're forgetting. If you're married and you're cuddling up and you're, lo- you're all lovey-dovey today, don't forget. Careful. There's thorns there. And I brought this as a sermon illustration. I can barely hold it. I want you to pass it around during the sermon if you get too comfortable. If you see anybody else getting too comfortable, I want you to take it and pass it to them. And as you pass it, make sure to twist it a little bit when it goes into their palms so they can really feel and get the sermon. Okay, maybe that's a bad idea, but... That's what the Apostle Paul, or that's what the Bible says, and Micah says, uh, the best of us are like, is, is a thorn hedge. The closer you get, the more you get poked. And there's no closer relationship than marriage. Marriage is bringing two imperfect people together. And marriage is one of the greatest blessings that God has for us in this life. But what does sin do? Sin takes God's blessings and turns them into burdens. And marriage often feels like a burden. And if you're married long enough and you get close enough, you will be getting poked and poked on a regular basis. And so why is this relationship a blessing? We're gonna talk about that in a moment. But I say that the wisdom of the scripture is true to me, that the relationship in my life where I've hurt the person the most is my wife, Out of all the people on this planet, I've treated her worse than anybody. It's because she's my closest relationship. She sees most of my sin. She sees all of my sin. And since I'm a prickly person, she's the one who I hurt the most. And the gospel of Jesus Christ heals everything. 
That's his power. There's not a sin too strong for the cross of Jesus Christ. And I think I've got a good marriage, and I think Sarah would attest to that, and I think the only reason, I'll just speak for myself in our relationship, the only reason that I'm able to be married, that I'm a marriable person, is that I found Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, I would say, you do you, because I'm going to do me. But the best thing for your marriage, if you want a marriage that is successful, if you want a marriage that's growing, if you want a marriage that's great, it's to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ constantly to your marriage and not to your spouse, but yourself. How many of us sit there in prayer and we say, Lord, deliver me from my spouse? Change them. Change my, get a hold of my spouse. You can't do anything to have your spouse's heart get closer to the Lord. The Lord needs to do that. For you, you need to be focusing on yourself. If both people in a marriage are focusing on applying the gospel of Jesus Christ themselves, not only is it impossible to have a failed marriage, it's impossible to have a bad marriage. The secret to happy marriage is no secret at all. It's the simplest thing. It's to be following Jesus Christ. It's to submit your heart to the Lord. When both people are submitting their heart to the Lord, it's impossible to have a bad marriage. It's so simple, but it's incredibly difficult because we're sinful. And if you're sitting here today, if you're worried about your marriage, if both of you turn and focus on the Lord and apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself, you won't have to worry about your marriage anymore. And the power of God is incredible. And the power of Jesus is incredible. Jesus brings people together. And Satan divides. And Christians have bad marriages. But in every bad marriage, one or both has decided to stop following the Lord. At least in that relationship. And even though Sarah and I have had some big fights you know, Sarah and I have worked through lots of big problems. It's the gospel of Jesus that gets us back on track every time. Thank God for Jesus. In this sermon series, we're going to talk about how to do marriage correctly. Because if we do marriage correctly, we'll be brought closer more often to the feet of Jesus than in any other relationship. And the first step of having a great marriage is applying the gospel to your marriage. And the first step to apply the gospel to your marriage is to apply the gospel to yourself and understand if you're in need of the Lord's forgiveness. This is you. You might think you're really great, and you probably are very special, but this is you. Before I got married, I thought I was a great guy. I never realized how prickly I was because all of my relationships are out there. Before I got married, I never had any serious problems with anyone. Have I had, have you, any of you had any serious problems with me? I didn't think so. <laughs> so when we get in a fight, it's gotta be all her fault. And she's serving in the nursery today, so she's not even here to know I said that or defend herself. This is a fantastic week to preach that message. <laughs> but as we go through our marriage, as we go through life, our sins are revealed if we do marriage right. Before I got married, I thought I was a great person, but then I got married. You sit there and you think, well, 
Maybe she has a point in all these things that she says. Like, okay, like, oh, even if she was the one to raise her voice first, like, even if I was right that she started, she raised her voice first, then I guess, you know, yelling back at her twice as loud, maybe that wasn't the best way to do things. Maybe there is a level of patience out there that I, I might just not possess. That never occurred to me before. As you go through marriage, you notice all of the fights, you notice all the issues, you notice the things your spouse is saying to you, and at some point, you start to think, I might have something specific to actually repent of. You see, before I got married, I came to church, I knew what the Bible said, I knew in some general sort of way I was a sinner, but I don't think I could have articulated any one thing that I was actually doing that was ever wrong. Everything I did made sense to me. But you get close to someone. You get close to some, enough to someone and you start listening to what they say and you start seeing their point of view. And over the time, and my marriage has been revealed to me, that I'm actually fairly impatient, quite disrespectful, often condescending, stingy, a curmudgeon. This is, this is, this is my list, people. You're laughing at it. <laughs> This is the ungodliness in me. And if you ask me how I would treat my wife at all times, how would you treat your wife, Jeremy? Well, with generosity and patience and love. That's how I'd treat my wife at all times. And then it gets down to it. As revealed, I almost never do that. Instead of patience, I've got a quick temper. Temper. Instead of love, I've got anger. Instead of generosity, I've got selfishness. Instead of building someone up, I condescend. And what comes down to it, I've got a heart to be godly. What it comes down to it, I, I can't do what I want in my life. And Paul writes about that experience in Romans chapter 7. Starting in verse 15 through 19, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Like Paul says, I want to do this thing. And in wanting to do that, I agree that what the Bible commands is good. But there's this thing in me. See, I, I would do this. I would be patient if I had the choice. I would be patient if I had the freedom. But the interesting thing is that I don't do that. I've got sin. I need the Lord. See, I've got the desire but not the ability to carry it out. And evil lies close at hand. In fact, it lies within our hearts. Paul writes about being a sinner. Paul writes that he's the chief of all sinners. And in my life, it's marriage that's taught me about my need for Jesus Christ more than any other experience. My sin is apparent to everyone watching in my marriage, certainly my spouse and anybody who's paying attention. And it even gets through my spiritual blinders and my thick-headedness. I'm definitely not perfect. And marriage is one of the biggest tools that God uses to reveal that to me. It's this close relationship. 
And I try to be good, but no matter how hard I try, what's revealed is that my boat's got holes in it. And the best strategy is to, instead of defending yourself and denying it, it's to instead just admit it and repent of it. Because the Lord knows that we're never going to be perfect. If you're expecting your spouse to be perfect, you don't understand the Lord. You don't understand his love for you. The Lord never expects us to be perfect. Our marriages, our relationships, our world will never be healed by us being perfect. God knew that we wouldn't be perfect. That's why he sent Jesus. What God wants is for people not to try to be perfect. Well, we, we, we try, but what God wants is for us not to achieve perfection because he knows it's impossible. What God wants is instead of perfection, what he wants is repentance. And in your marriage, if you're unable to think of anything specific that you need to repent of for your spouse, then you're not doing marriage right. Because this is you. And if marriage isn't revealing that to you, then something's going wrong. If marriage is not driving you deeper to the feet of Jesus Christ and deeper in your relationship with him, you're missing out on the purpose that God has given us for marriage. Because marriage is not about making us happy. Marriage is about making us holy. Marriage is like church brought home. This love that we're supposed to have for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to have that exact same love at home. In Ephesians, Jesus compares the marriage between a man and a woman to their relationship between Jesus and the church. And marriage and our relationship with Christ are intimately related and combined. In fact, our marriage is a metaphor for our relationship with God. And if we never repent to our spouse, if we get defensive and deny our sin, if we defend our sin, you'll drive your spouse away and you will ruin your marriage over time. There will be no healing that takes place. Marriage done wrong is when you drift apart from each other because of the prickles that you have. Marriage done right is where you grow closer to each other, even through these, because the power of God is greater than any sin that could be in you or your spouse. The cross of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any sin that you've got in you or your spouse has got in them. We show how weak our faith is when we exclude God from the deep areas of our life. Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that God could ever heal me. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe God could ever move in my job. I'm a Christian, but I, my marriage, my spouse, it's beyond hope. The times where God does not move in our life. Jesus turns to his disciples and explains why. Oh, ye of little faith. And if you've lost faith that God is going to grow your marriage and grow you and your spouse, that's when you won't see God working. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you take off those spiritual blinders that Satan has and you once again focus on the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, you know that there's nothing in your marriage that could be more powerful than the Lord and more powerful than what he could do in our lives. In James chapter 5, James talks about the power of forgiveness and repentance and healing. In James 5, 15 and 16, he says, 
and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And James has these two parallel lines of thought running that are connected because that's how powerful God is. You have confession and you have spiritual healing and restoration and then you have confession, you have physical healing and restoration. And James doesn't see much of a difference between the two because that's how powerful God is. Confession, that's how powerful confession is. James says, therefore, because of God's power, confess your sins. The Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another. And so let me just keep confessing all of my sins in marriage because this works. One of the things that I've done in marriage, especially when we were young, is I tried to control my wife. I don't know why, probably because life seems out of control. And so like a child who you set peas before them and they have no control over their life, they can't talk, they can't walk, they don't decide when they go to bed, they don't decide when they get up, they say, I'm not eating. You're like, you haven't eaten all day. And they say, I don't care. Or they say, wah, more likely. But they control their life by saying no. And I did the same thing as an adult, as a young adult. I remember one time, so ridiculous, we're having friends over. And Sarah's like, let's get some pop and chips at the store down the road for our friends when they come over. And I said, we've got pop and chips in the fridge. And she says, but the pop's a two liter and it's open and it's flat and the chips are open and they're stale. Let's get some chips and pop. And I said, no. What kind of person fights about chips and pop? It's, at the time, it was probably $4 for both of them. Nowadays, I'd pay $50 to avoid an argument. <laughs> what do you want? Whatever, here's 50 bucks. Let's just try to make this thing go away. Got kids to put to bed. What kind of lunatic fights over $4? It's because I wanted control in my life. And Sarah picks up on this after a few weeks of being married. She goes, wait a minute. All you say is No. <laughs> No, no, no. All you say is no. I'm like, well, yeah, that's actually pretty right. I remember one time Sarah was like, let's buy clothes. And I said, no. And she said, well, what's our budget for clothes? The budget can't be zero, right? You can't spend zero dollars on clothes. So tell me what it is. Huh. Well, what do you know? Yeah, you actually, you can't really spend zero dollars on clothes. But I wanted control. Wanting control comes from a lack of faith and trust in the Lord. That's sin. That's doubt. You think your unbelief doesn't affect people? It affects every area of your life when you don't believe and when you've got weak faith. Here I'm controlling my wife because the future's uncertain. My life is frustrating. I need that control back. And marriage reveals your sin. It heals you when you confess it. It heals your spouse when you repent of it. I've repented of my sin. I've looked at my wife and I said, yeah, that's weird. That's messed up. I'm sorry. I'm going to try not to do that anymore. And if it wasn't for marriage, I would have never grown in that way. Never been revealed to me. Because you know what? Everything I do makes sense. I build a logical, airtight case when I argue but darling, we have chips in the fridge and, and pop and we have the chips in the fridge and the budget and the whatever. But none of that's the real reason we're fighting. It's my sin. A desire to control. A desire to manipulate. Pride. 
I've got so many sins that when I do something wrong, it's hard to, to lay the blame at any one of them. It's like they're the three stooges trying to get through the door at the same time, and they all run together. Oh, there's an opportunity to screw this up. Let's all do it. Whoop, bam, whoop, 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 you know, and they can't get through the door, and they all fall down. That's a reference from like, did anybody watch the three? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Another thing that I do is that if you do something wrong to me, I'm not going to want to forgive you. I'm going to want to hold a grudge. That makes for a lousy marriage. My question is, what do you do? You've likely been a Christian for years. Have you been following Jesus? Do you know of anything specific in your life that you have to repent of? You're not just a general sinner. You're an active sinner. And you have real ways to grow towards Jesus Christ. And the hardest people to get along with in life are the ones who think that they're right in every situation. And if you can't name any specific sins that you're doing in your marriage, then that person in that relationship is you. It's you. How outrageously humbling. Here we can sit and name everything that our spouse does wrong, and we're believers in Jesus Christ. We get access to God the Father and the Holy Spirit through our repentance and our faith in Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, and we can't name a single thing that we do. And if we want to get closer to each other, we've got to get closer to God. If you look at each other in a marriage, you're guaranteed to have a terrible marriage. But if you look towards Jesus, then you're unable to have a bad marriage. And the answer in getting close to each other is not to try to come closer to the other person. It's to get closer to God. Marriage is like a triangle. You're over here, they're over here, God's up here. The closer as we turn and face God and get close to him, the distance always decreases. And that's how we have great relationships and great marriages is to get closer to God. And that requires active confession and repentance. You can't grow more like Christ in your life if you don't know the specifics of the sin in your heart. The Lord can't conform you to the image of his son if you think mistakenly that you're already there. And marriage is one of the greatest tools that God gets incredibly prideful people to humble themselves and follow him. If you can't name any specific sins, one reason is you might not have just been married long enough. The other reason is that you're not close enough. Boundaries are great, and they keep us from fighting. But the purpose of marriage is to become one flesh, and so boundaries need to come down. And Sarah and I have boundaries in our life, and we know incredibly organized type A people who have constructed a structure of boundaries so thorough and so clear that all confrontation is avoided. It's fantastic. But they're not getting closer to Jesus. They've just put up fences around all of their sin. And we do that. Sarah said, I can't have zero dollars for clothes. And so we put a, money on, a number on the cliff. Fine, you can have some money for clothes. And now we don't fight about clothes anymore because the boundaries are clear. In fact, she spends so little, I don't even remember what the number is because whatever. <laughs> I've stopped paying attention to that. And boundaries are great to keep us married. But over time, we should be working at taking those down. If you're not being made aware of your sin through your marriage, you might not have been married long enough. You might have too many boundaries 
The other option is you're not self-aware. Maybe one of you is a people pleaser and they're just constantly avoiding the conflict of pointing out the other person's sin. And so you're not aware of it. We don't want to be people who are nitpickers. Nothing's worse than being a nitpicker. That's a sin. But when we notice our spouse doing something ungodly, it is out of love that we have to talk with them about it. And you do it wisely. I always encourage people to do it proactively, having devotions at night. I have to repent since we've moved and way out of a routine, been doing a terrible job of that. But in the past, we've done a great job. And that avoids a lot of conflict because before the conflict has actually happened, you're not fighting about it in the moment. You're talking about it months before as you read through the word of God and the devotions. You say, how am I doing at that? And the other person says, how am I doing at that? And you have a moment where you can actually talk about it, hopefully, rationally, for at least a split second, which you never have in the moment. Right? person says, you never let me buy clothes. And you say, you always spend all the money. And then it's over. So better to talk about it beforehand in nightly devotions as you're going through God's word. You don't want to be a nitpicker. But when you see your spouse doing something ungodly, it's out of love that we address it and we lead them to Christ. And the last reason you, you might not know what your specific sins are if you're married here today, if you can't think of anything specific to apologize for to your spouse, it might be just that you're in denial. There's a variety of reasons why we might be in denial when it comes to our sin. Sometimes it's because our spouse has obvious glaring sins and we don't want to work on any of our sins and so we tell our parents and we tell our friends and we tell whatever's ha- anybody who's listening and we tell our spouse themselves, look at all your sin! Look at them! What, me? No, 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 look at them! Look at them! Did you see that? Did you see how much they drink? Did you see how much they do? And, and your spouse might be very difficult to live with and your spouse might be significantly mistreating you But you can't stunt your growth in the Lord by constantly having a distraction. The Lord has not made you a victim. He's made you victorious in Jesus Christ. Satan tells you you're a victim. Satan tells everybody they're a victim. Oh, I'm a victim. And legitimately, you might be being mistreated, and that's terrible. However, find victory in the Lord. There's victory in Jesus. We did a sermon on divorce a while ago, and I feel that I I just got to, you know, if you're being abused, you don't have to stay there. That's against God's will. Get to a safe place. Get help. If you need help, let us know. We'd love to help you. But God has made you to be victorious even in that situation. And when you stand before the Lord, it's not other people's sin that he's going to ask you about. It's going to be yours. And so don't let your spouse's sin stop you from growing in Jesus. Many godly people have been completely stunted in their growth towards Jesus Christ and slowly overwhelmed with pride because their spouse is doing very obvious, glaringly bad things. And don't let this happen to you. When I was in kindergarten... My parents were always on me for throwing my dirty underwear on the ground and never picking it up. I heard about it every day. I got sick of hearing about it. And so I figured out a life hack. I'm going to stop wearing underwear. (laughs) I wear sweatpants anyway. What's the point? And so I went to school day after day without underwear. After a week or two, my mom said, Jeremy, 
Where, where's all your underwear? Where's all your dirty underwear? And I said, I'm not wearing any. <laughs> now, when you're in a little bit of trouble, you know, your parents can lose their temper and fly off the handle and get upset and, you know, hit you with a wooden spoon or something like that. But when they really are concerned, they don't yell or shout. They just get that look on their face. And then they say, I need you to go to your room. We need to have a talk. And I told my mom I wasn't wearing underwear and she looked at my dad and I could see the concern. <laughs> you need to talk with your son. <laughs> and so I went to my room to wait for my father. <laughs> and I said, they're contemplating my sin. I thought, this must be a really big deal. <laughs> and my dad walked in and he said, he said, son. <laughs> and I didn't wait. I said, dad, I'm sorry. I'll wear underwear. I'll wear underwear. It's fine. I don't need to be in tr- <laughs> I don't need to be in trouble. It's easy to repent of your sin if it's small, like not wearing underwear. However, I've noticed throughout life that actually as your sin increases, so does your denial and defensiveness. As your sin continues to grow when we've done tons of things wrong, we don't want to admit any of it. If you lied to the person at the buffet about your kid's age so they can get in for dinner, it's easy to repent of that one. But if you've been controlling or manipulative of your spouse for 35 years, good luck facing that sin. Right? You need the power of the Lord. You need the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Who wants to come to that reality? And that's why Jesus is so amazing. That's why the power of the Holy Spirit is so amazing. Let's turn to Psalms 32. That's why confession is so amazing. Because you'd think that if you confess your sin, you'd be crushed by your sin. But instead, when you confess your sin, you're freed from your sin. Psalms 32, verse 1 through 11. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. That's what I want. I want that freedom. I want that blessing. How can I get there? Well, it can't be from keeping silent about my sin. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. There's cognitive dissonance that happens when we mistreat people. We can't sleep at night. There's physical things that arise, physical problems that arise when we hide our sin. Day and night, your hand is heavy upon me. When we sin, we feel the heaviness of the God and his spirit and convicting us and his judgment. And how do we get healed of that? It's terrible. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will forgive my, confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you ever have the blessing of having somebody apologize to you, don't say, I told you so, if they finally recognized it. That is so rare. The people who don't apologize to you are doing so because they fear the condemnation of God and of you. And if somebody actually comes and say, I'm sorry, Take that opportunity. Say, thank you. I forgive you. Can we talk about how we cannot do this again? It's easy to admit our sin if it's not changing our underwear, but if it's mistreating the person who's closest to us, 
That's incredibly difficult. And we need to understand the power of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. With Jesus' spirit in your life, you don't feel condemned when you repent of your sin. You don't feel condemned when you admit your sin, which is what your natural self tells you is going to happen in fear. The Lord forgives you through Jesus Christ and you're made right with him. And next week, we're gonna talk more about forgiveness. But the first step that we have to do is we have to take that step out in boldness and repent. I'm gonna challenge you this week. I want you right now, think of something that you do wrong to your spouse. Think of something that you do that hurts them. Think of something that you do that's selfish or curmudgeon or stingy. And write it down. And I want you to apologize to them tonight. If you want a better relationship, if you want a better marriage, if you want to be right with the Lord, this is how you do it. Write it down. I'm going to challenge you next week and see if you've done it. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Many people reject Christianity because they deny their need of the Lord. I don't have any sins. And yet Christians come every week and we sit here and we refuse to repent to our spouse as though we don't have sin. Functionally, we're the same as unbelievers. That's what unbelief looks like. I don't need the power of God. I don't need the cross of Christ. That's what it looks like to be someone who does not believe in the forgiveness and salvation of Jesus Christ. The gospel gives us the strength to stop being defensive and to start apologizing. We think that when we're going to repent of our sin, we're going to be crushed. But the power of the Holy Spirit is that the cross is so great. The cross is so great that when we repent of our sins, he heals us. Love covers a multitude of sin. And if you don't repent, harboring your sin is not a harmless spiritual exercise. It hardens your heart. It leads you away from the Lord. Harboring your sin leads you to become the kind of person who comes to the church and is religious rather than spiritual. When you stop going towards Jesus, there's only one direction to go, and that's away from Jesus. And as we harbor our sin in our heart, our love for Jesus wanes, our love for ourself grows. Luke 7, 47, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The less you repent, the less you'll love the Lord. The less you repent, the less you think that you're in need of God's deep, great forgiveness, then the less you will love Jesus Christ, the less vibrant your faith will be. If you want to know the Lord, if you want to experience the Holy Spirit, the answer is to repent of your sin and celebrate. If you want an excellent marriage, the answer is to repent of your sin and celebrate. And an apology doesn't look like, I'm sorry that hurts you. I'm sorry you feel that way. Repentance says, I'm sorry for my sin. And here it is. Have you repented of your sin to your spouse? You need God's forgiveness. Ask it from God and begin to experience his healing in your life and in your marriage.